Discovery, a Star Trek podcast by Fantastic Geek, your official, unofficial Star Trek Discovery podcast. My name is Matt, and joining me, as always, is Pete. Welcome to the future, Pete A. Form a sentence. Discovery, a Star Trek podcast by Fantastic Geek for episode 306, Scavengers, comes to you now via Eyeball Bedazzled Belt. And just a bit of fleet news before we launch into the episode, Pete, the biggest Star Trek news this week, Anson Mount announcing uh, that he's going to be part of a nonprofit group to help find alien life. So, a real Star Trek? And that's very good. And all of that is needed, particularly as things, as we podcast in America, Matt, get the darkest yet because of escalating virus numbers and deaths and we hope wherever you are listening you are well and you are safe um but uh when anson mount teases announcement coming tomorrow where does our brain naturally go pete it's either going to be new star trek or a limited revival series for hell on wheels hopefully it's not in humans and <laughs> I mean, it's a Star Trek. It's a real Star Trek. But I, I'm speaking for me. I can't help but feeling a little let down. I mean, listen, I, I, I want the exploration. We need the exploration. Uh, it's a absolutely worthy uh, endeavor. Uh, yeah, I just thought like some Star Trek. I mean, maybe tell me that day or don't make like a big deal thing coming tomorrow. Pete, going to another galaxy far, far away, the Star Wars, uh, pardon me, Pete, the Lego Star Wars Holiday Special, very different than the original Star Wars Holiday Special, uh, hit Netflix in the past week. Pete, undoubtedly the best Star Wars Holiday Special ever made. (laughs) I mean, the bar is low, and if you don't believe us, Uh, Well, one, there's a documentary now coming about the original holiday special, you know, the one that you're you're not allowed to watch, the one that's not on Disney Plus, the one that you have to hunt for in corners of the Internet, but can find a commentary track on Patreon.com slash Fantastic Geek. Yes, and it's a slog to get through that uh, that that holiday special. Hopefully, our uh, our commentary track makes it a bit better. Uh, but Pete, will we be podcasting at some point the Lego Star Wars holiday special, the semi canonical uh, story that perhaps in some way makes improvements over Rise of Skywalker? What? I've been asked repeatedly this week, Matt. I don't know. Will we? Uh, Pete, it certainly is on the docket. Let's put it like that. And we'll leave it like that for now. With that, let's head into the mission briefing. Maintenance robots put the finishing touches on the hull as the camera pulls back to reveal the USS Discovery. A? Indeed, the hull now has more silver tint to it, kind of like a a fractal pattern. Uh, And indeed, Pete, NCC1031-A. Perhaps one could pedantically argue that the the, uh, A suffix, you know, and and letters and whatnot are, are best reserved not for major refits, but for brand new ships. But I get what they're doing just in terms of this is 
this now sets the expectation for a different ship. This also, you know, just sets a line of delineation and then probably much lower on the list than it is for our Star Wars friends is the fact that this is now a different thing that you can, you know, like go out and get the ornament of the A, the plushie of the A, etc. Pete, it's kind of the red arm of uh, C-3PO. Seru in voiceover uh, tells us that the scars of the ship have been healed. Programmable matter has been added, indeed, even to the nacelles being detached, um, which I know we've seen that before. And I think still, you know, there, as always, there is that pedantry to say, well, wait, Star Trek never did this before. And then you say, oh, right. Most of what Star Trek shows us is actually made up and pseudoscience. Um the fact that they've now added this, it's for improved maneuverability. How is that the case? I don't know. It's a sci-fi TV show. It's okay to be dazzled by an unknown future, not grabbing the uh, technical manual to say, but wait, but wait. And uh, Pete, it's an extraordinary retrofit. He says retrofit. You said refit. We're going to talk about that in theories. Nearly complete here. Um However, there's also vents now, uh, much like the uh, saucer section, there are uh, sections that are no longer in the stabilizers, the things that go towards the nacelles, and then there's the detachable part. But like you said, it, it's science fiction. Ship look different now. Ships still fly. Indeed. Um, and and ultimately, Pete, and luckily, I, I maybe I've just been selectively muting people on Twitter or I've just detached a little bit from the the, you know, the anti Star Trek, you know, YouTube click kind of kind of conversation. But this is all under the umbrella of in Star Trek, the motion picture, they built a brand new model that did not have the same dimensions as the TV one and said, eh, we made some minor changes. Uh, it's still the same ship, though, even though it clearly wasn't. So this is closer to the original version than the motion picture version that was essentially the same. It just looked completely different. So at the end of the day, who cares? Let's have fun. Turns out this entire Seru speech is not a captain's log, but rather he is speechifying at a captain's round table. Literally, Pete, they're standing in a circle. <laughs> Um, he Round notes that, <laughs> indeed, he notes that the crew is being trained by Burnham, his number one, uh, and we see Vance do a roll call for various tasks and various captains owe the fleet, or at least the fleet, which is present there today. Uh, this one's going to help the solar flare folks. This one's going to do that. Uh, Disco, however, on the sidelines for rapid response. What rapid response? What does it have? And the very smart line, because I think we're just setting up a variety of conditions, the very smart line, A, that the other captains don't yet fully know what Discovery's capabilities are, and that knowledge of that is being held in reserve, not just for the purposes of today's plot, but because if news got out, it would then make Discovery and Starfleet and Federation HQ all massive targets. Like Captain Kardashev's mission to Reeling 7, Matt, I'm going to throw a little shade at that when we talk theories. But in terms of exposition and writing here, it's efficient. It does what it needs to do. Okay. They are on um, yellow alert 
discovery is for what's going on in the Argoth system, the Emerald Chain. Do you mean the Emerald Chain that is the Andorian Orion Syndicate, Admiral Vance? Yes, that Emerald Chain, again, exposition. Okay. Um, we've still not been told, Matt, what quadrant they're in. And, uh, you know, yes, the Andorian Orion Syndicate in this quadrant is checked as well. So all very interesting and, and a lot to peel back uh, later on. Well, but if I may, here was my understanding of things, at least thus far. We clearly were in the the over there when the episode when the season first started. I'm assuming that's the far flung corners of the beta quadrant. Uh, federate the Federation HQ being kind of sorta in the neighborhood of Earth. I mean, not right on top of it for story reasons that we've seen before, but I'm assuming it's more in the Alpha quadrant. And, and, and this... I think that's the assumption. And I think you're you're more likely than not correct. But we've still not been told. And, you know, we didn't uh, see Discovery Jump, but that doesn't mean that they haven't. And, um, you know, I, I like the way this roundtable sets up. Like, all right, this one's taking a slow boat to, to bring food. And this one, see you in forever after you bring the replicators. Oh, wait, what? These guys can go anywhere at any time? And again, it, it sets up some questions. They're telling the story they want to tell. They're telling the story, making discovery. You have to make them relevant, which we've discussed ad nauseum in our podcast, because if they show up and they're a dinosaur that can't matter, you fly them into a museum. If you show up and they're also the most advanced ship in the fleet, then why do they need Starfleet, they can do their own thing. No, everybody needs everybody. It's kind of a timely story, Matt. Also, wear your mask. <laughs> uh, all true, all true. And certainly more discussion about the Spore Drive and the <laughs> problems with it that have vanished from the story. We'll talk about that in theories. Um, but certainly the takeaway, Discovery needs to be ready if needed. Pete, I must confess, it was really only on second rewatch that I really fully appreciated that the entire Chekhov's gun countdown of be ready, be mm -hmm. ready. You're going to go to Argif and save the day. Be ready that that never happens in the episode, which I think is a credit to the narrative that there's not this, you know, and, and now load the torpedoes. We need to go save the day. Like there's just, it's just, they hang out the entire episode and, and, you know, feel the feels and have the B story and all that. But uh, we cut to Discovery proper, same uniforms, uh, new badges, though, which we are told definitively also are a hollow pads and tricorders and personal transporters. Oh, Lieutenant Willa adds consoles have been updated as well with that. Uh, and the set. Um, and the set to a certain degree. Absolutely. And uh, I feel like maybe within the episode also Linus's mask uh although maybe that was just a change in lighting i don't know but um bryce is excited as is reese uh detmer uh, a little resistant perhaps to it um, we have owo saying it is smooth and glass um and then the aforementioned linus as part of a running gag transports in and out further evidence that this of show the captain's chair no less matt <laughs> yeah with a little bit of the wobble too which i thought was um an inspired little moment because of course you know 
the actor is just sitting there. You know, they, they do a shot. They do a version without the actor there. Then the actor's there. And they have a little light flash. But to have the wobble really kind of sells it. And that Linus introduction, the fact that we're giving some story time, some lines to Bryce and Reese and Owo and Detmer and Linus, just a reminder that this show really is running on all cylinders, that they're giving time with the bridge crew, supporting characters to be sure, but all of them are doing their part for us to say, hey, this is a ship with a crew, not just, you know, the six the six people who are name actors who we spend most of our time with. Some uh, one of them is going to need to uh, be elevated to number one, Matt. And Lieutenant Nilsson notes that Linus hasn't adapted yet. Bryce tells Nilsson he's being hailed by a vessel outside the Federation distortion field, which Willis says no one can get to unless they know where they're going. Put them on screen. Pause. Pause. Is that a cat and Tilly ID's grudge? Yes. So very clear right off the bat that we have a confluence of, uh, of you know, story characters and whatnot. Uh, turns out that Book has left a message uh, to Burnham, uh, but Saru and Burnham uh, watch it. Uh, Book has heard talk about a black box and Book is headed to Hunhao. Uh, the ship is going to come to Burnham if needed. Uh, everything will be fine. However, if Book doesn't make his way back, the ship is going to come back in 24 hours. Hey, wait, that was three weeks ago. So, Pete, right off the bat, I hope that Grudge knows how to use the um, food synthesizer for cat food. I hope that the the kitty litter box automatically cleans itself or whatever. Um, it does occur to me, I guess, by using transport technology that maybe the kitty litter box is you know, is turning into the um, replicator, but such is the way of things. Um, as for the black box, Pete, can you tell us more? That's a new thing that we haven't heard about, though, as it turns out, we've already seen one. Just back to the badge thing a minute, Matt. Um, I smell a giveaway. Yeah. Uh, as soon as they start to make them, uh, you know, commercially available. I think it would be a great, a great giveaway for listeners. I know we did that with the, the original disco badges, and uh, I have to admit, Pete, I'm a little surprised that these badges just aren't ready to go somewhere. Um, because I feel like within a month of Discovery premiering, they were pretty available. Um, and then even more so on your Amazons, etc. So. Uh, let's get going, merch folks. What's going on? Are you like the PR people where you're dropping the ball here? Absolutely. The black box is here, Matt. So we had seen one before and we didn't even know it. That cylindrical device that uh, Burnham had gained in her time as a courier. Uh, later on in the episode, we see the one that Book has. Um, we find out from Burnham that she found two. And if the burn was like everybody says it was, that they all would have stopped recording at the same microsecond. If it would have been, as we've been previously told, instantaneous across the galaxy, uh, all these Starfleet vessels with their uh, dilithium. However, she's seen a variance in the two that she's collected to this point. If she gets a third and same variance, then that would suggest uh, that instead it spread across the galaxy, pointing to uh, a location that it spread from. 
um, and that she's ready to go. Oh, hey, yeah, we're on standby to go to Argeth, but I don't need but 12 hours to get to Hunhau and back with the black box and my maybe boyfriend. Uh, so I'm, I'm ready to go. I don't need, if you're team Matt, the Centennial Bird, if you're team Pete, the Eon Eagle, if you're the Discovery writing staff, still not giving us a name for Bookship other than Bookship? Um, agree in all columns there. And we have, we have such a confluence of events in this scene, which is to say we understand the urgency for Book. We understand the urgency for the larger mystery of the burn uh i can only imagine what planet it originated from more on that in theories it's a planet we've been to before um but also just the natural friction of burnham wanting to go do this mission um and then saru saying yes lives are at stake books lives at stake many lives are at stake including you know the the fragility of the federation such as it exists and the the necessity for us to follow orders and go help uh, out at Argeth, if called in. Um, she is told to prepare the crew to jump to Argeth when ordered. Burnham says, yes, sir, but her eyes say, no, sir. Uh, which, of course, leads to Burnham grabbing Giorgio. Who's up for an unsanctioned mission, pal? Uh, Philippa notes that Burnham is, again, up to trouble. And, of course, Giorgio is up for an, ins- an unsanctioned mission anytime, anyplace. Great shot. Completely intentional the mirrored angle of uh, Michelle Yeoh. When you get one Michelle Yeoh, Matt, you, you know you're in for good stuff. When you get double the Yeoh, Yojo. <laughs> we move to the credits, which include Wilson Cruz, David Ajala, and of course, special guest star Michelle Yeoh. This episode written by Annie Cofill Saunders and directed by Doug Aronofsky, whose work we've seen, of course, many times before on the show. The Eon Eagle is on the way, and we're told via dialogue that Hunhau is sparsely populated and salvages ships and Matt Guitar Hero stuff. More on that a little later, courtesy our Rin actor. Uh, Giorgio wants to know the primary objective. It's the black box and book. Um, indeed, Giorgio wondering what book has done to get his hooks into Burnham. Uh, it gets played off by Burnham, although she does uh, switch the words love and live in regarding uh, in regards to her time on this ship. Um, we also have Giorgio suddenly flashing to San. No, San dying. A flashback, Pete. Something else. We'll cover that in theories, too. Uh, the ship ultimately arrives at the planet with a hail from Anne Orion. Um, Giorgio uh, is going to out-tough the tough. She tells him that he's not smart enough to run this dump and that his boss man won't be happy or Pete, I guess, boss lady, pardon me for impressing gender upon a situation in which it is his his auntie. Um, but the boss won't be happy that Giorgio and her dilithium are being delayed. Form a sentence! It's a great line and, and she gets so many of the great lines and deservedly so. Uh, Tolor, we later find out his name, uh, tells her that she can go to the Bajoran exchange, but she's not interested in being ripped off by an avatar. Matt, blue people? Uh, Pete, I don't know that she meant it quite in the James Cameron <laughs> sense. 
Pete, we also get a gear update. And I have to say, this is one that makes a ton of story sense. Um, Burnham has a scanner. It originally was meant for uh, Book to find Grudge, if Grudge was ever lost. But she has reverse engineered the cat collar scanner, so it will find Book instead. Uh, some story gymnastics there, perhaps, but it makes a ton of sense. Um, and it's explained perfectly, so I have I have no complaints. Good job with the double dismount uh, story gymnastics there. Yeah, we know he loves the cat. Uh, she's got the collar because the cat came to her. She's turned it around to find his location. So you you have a you have a a book tracker now for a guy who's been fitted with a collar so his head can be blown off. So it, it works everywhere around. Uh, back on board Discovery. Uh, Matt, they answered our question. It's like they listen from the past. Uh, Tilly indeed still lives with the first officer on the ship, uh, Burnham, because Grudge is on her bed. Uh, she finds out Burnham is not on board, uh, scans for a book ship. It is not in the shuttle bay. She wonders if Burnham has been eaten by Grudge and with the cat under the bed there becomes increasingly frustrated, but take us back to Hun Hao. Well, before we leave the quarters, Pete, I will just disagree ever so slightly. I think that Tilly returned to her personal solo quarters and then immediately was struck by the fact that the cat that should be with, um, that should be with Book's ship or with Burnham or whatever that exact living situation was, that the cat was suddenly there and this sense of, oh no, if the cat's here... Where's the cat's current minder, um, Burnham? Where's the cat's main home, the ship? Oh, no, Burnham just did another bad thing. But, um, Pete, I will mention, too, this scene, the first of a number of segmented stories. They say in Hollywood, uh, it's always great for your career or not when you're working with animals and kids. And here we see series regular Tilly working with animals a little bit later. You know, another series regular working with the kids. Um, but as you mentioned, Pete, back to uh, Pete, my notes say Argeth. No, no, no. It is Hun Hao, right? It is. We have old Starfleet vessels in the atmosphere. Um, one is very clearly the model that was in season two crashed uh, that contained uh, Reno, the Hiawatha uh, style ship. That's all right. You're allowed to reuse those digital models there uh talor tells them no merchandise until he gets dilithium and they can't get their weapons back until they leave we find out through dialogue he is osira's nephew uh she being in charge of everybody uh the andorian orion syndicate here um and that they get all their help you know, they're slaves. These are people who owe Osira and they work off that debt forever. But hey, Matt, uh, can I get a DS9 um, illusion? You certainly can. They're looking for late 24th century self-sealing self stem bolts. Uh, they, Pete, they look through other 
fun junk and old scrap, like a TNG phaser. That's right, Pete. Alex Kurtzman hates Star Trek so much that he put a Miranda-class ship in the scrapyard. Maybe not completely clear as they go in, but it crashes later on. He's junked the phasers. He's making fun of that oh-most-so-serious topic, uh, self-sealing stem bolts. This is not Gene's Trek at all. Um, boo. Uh, I, I kid, of course. This is just a delightful little, little, uh, little jaunt here. It is. And the mix of, hey, we found a a smelting plant outside of Toronto that we could turn into a salvage yard and the way they take the practical and the manufactured and, and put it all together. It all works. We have Rin the Andorian without antennae here, uh, who is putting an implant in the back of the neck of another slave. Uh, he apologizes. He's called a traitor. Book is helping a Bajoran named Lai carry something, but he's got a bum elbow here. Uh, Rin brings him a little talabark, you know, will will help that, but Lau, or Lai, I should say, rejects that. Lol, Matt, I'm bringing in Lol, Lol, um, from the next generation. Uh, Book tells Rin not to take this personal, and Book sees Burnham, his friend that he tells Rin to keep his eyes down for uh, Lai steals a water ration um, and uh, Talor sees this. He has them open the door so they can test the new update on the perimeter pylons. He shoots at his feet and we get the running man-esque sequence where uh, he loses his head. I guess they do work. Pete Rin, of course, played by Star Trek newcomer Noah Averback Katz. Uh, he, a man of uh, not a lengthy IMDb resume. However, he did attend Juilliard with Mary's Wiseman and Chifo, married one of them. So this lifelong Star Trek fan uh, now on screen on Star Trek for himself here. Um, love the running man references here uh, i mean pete i think that the running man as a 80s schwarzenegger movie i think that it gets overshadowed by your the terminators your the predators and such but just such a great movie um particularly when you realize that everybody's watching a reality show um as we live in this kind of reality show existence lately but great way to communicate the um, the central, perhaps not the, the central threat, but the central uh, boot on the neck of, of our, our heroes here, which is, you know, that, the, that this fence is up and it will kill Book and all the other people if they don't get out the right way. Uh, we head back to headquarters, um, Federation headquarters, Starfleet headquarters, specifically the Discovery, where Adira is making changes in engineering even as Gray wonders why Adira isn't using all the interesting things on the ship. Uh, with that, Stamets arrives, wondering why engineering is in chaos. Chaos! <laughs> uh, and Pete, this another continuation of kind of the, the, the little discovery stories. We had Tilly with the cat. We have Stamets kind of mentoring, you know, Adira and sort of by proxy Gray. Um, it's always a good thing for your career when you get to play the older guy 
who's uh, who's mentoring the young whippersnapper. And indeed, Pete, this young whippersnapper has changed the Spore Drive interface. It might be gooey, but the goo does not last on your fingers. Yes, Matt. No more shunts needed in Stamets arm. Uh, this nano gel is a quantum transducer, so no residue. Uh, back to Hun Hao, where Burnham finds those old Starfleet badges. I love how Matt they they took what they no longer need in costuming. They aged them. They put them in a little cup, and it's found artifacts on the planet of Hun Hao. It just it just works out. It just works out sometimes. Um... George O also is talking about the perimeter fence, noting that the controls are in Talora's pocket. Um, maybe a little bit of story baloney in terms of how he keeps touching the the controls in his pocket, and she's able to figure that out. But uh, fair is fair. We want to establish that he's got it on him, and that's the nature of. Listen, this is a idiot uh, product of nepotism. They touch they touch themselves all the time. Um. You know what, Pete? Thinking about the last week, yes. My concern is completely withdrawn. Some of these idiots pushed forward by nepotism or the good old boys network do touch icky things and whatnot. Um, Luckily, in this episode, no one's uh, hair mascara is melting. But I digress, Pete. Uh, The shop talk allows Burnham and Book to step back to the back shelves. Uh, they have a private moment. They hug. Don't forget, the perimeter fence can get him too. You know, what happened to the one guy could happen to him. Stakes are raised. Also, Book has a black box in his quarters. Take it and go. Uh, Book does not want to end up like Rin, a pariah turned into a goon. Or a goon turned into a pariah. I guess it works both ways. Ultimately, Burnham needs some more time. Burn, uh, Talor is busy, so he orders a drone. Is going to follow the the prospective uh, master and servant pair of Giorgio and Burnham as they go a shopping. Story clock within a story clock, Matt. We have the twelve hour Argeth discovery prepare to jump story, and we've got forty five down to forty minutes here. Uh, before shift change that is going to put book out of range on one of those ships floating above them. So got to get it done before then back on discovery. It's Tilly giving orders Matt's possible foreshadowing um, and running engineering tests. Saru comes to see her to speak about Burnham uh, Tilly as she is wont sometimes, uses some coarse language. But Saru shares these sentiments about Burnham going off on her own. Shades of what happened aboard the Shenzhou. Um, And uh, for Tilly, this is very clear that she made her choice, that's Burnham, and made the choice for Saru that he has to tell the Admiral the discovery has a lot to prove and Tilly doesn't want to see everybody else painted with the same brush, which Saru finds astute. Uh, Tilly does qualify that she would have done the same in Burnham shoes, but Saru chooses not to believe that. This of course is a critical scene in terms of uh, perhaps not our understanding of Burnham, but our understanding of how she's 
perceived amongst the crew and the alert level that that brings to the rest of the the crew. Uh, thank goodness, Pete, this very private conversation is, you know, just being held off to the side in engineering. No need to go, no need to go into a more private area. Um, again, this notion that Burnham is AWOL, absent without leave, you know, that's a serious military thing. Um, and connecting it back to the Senjo, just all of this kind of building a resume of you know, the Burnham that we hoped for at the beginning of the pilot episode is a lot different than the Burnham who has existed these last three seasons. And I think we just need to come to terms with the fact that she's a hero to the story, but she's not a hero in Starfleet. Um, doubly so, triply so, uh, whatever you want to count it as. And I also like the line where Tilly, aspirational, says that she would have done the same thing as Burnham. Saru thinks not. Uh, clearly as Saru is dealing with a, with a, a, a big decision that ultimately gets made at the end of the episode, because, you know, story climaxes back to Hanhao again, where a drone is following them. Burnham takes a rod and clips it down, which they notice right away. Giorgio needs, but a couple seconds to build a weapon. This controller here, they get cornered. And uh, Rin returns to book, telling him he's told the others. Not sure if they believe him, though, because Pariah. And he gives Book the black box from his quarters. Book gives him a pep talk, and they're all going to get out on a transport ship. But take us back to HQ, Matt. Indeed, Saru doing the right thing, letting Vance know what's what with Giorgio. Uh, however, with the number one gone, or I shouldn't even say however, well, nonetheless, the ship is ready to go to Argeth if needed. Uh, and indeed, they might need to, as diplomatic uh, talks with the Emerald Chain have broken down. We head back to uh, Hun Hao, where Giorgio and Burnham are uh, now on book ship with Talor. They, of course, uh, in bondage, Burnham and Giorgio are. Uh, Giorgio probably much less concerned about that fact. Um, Giorgio is running her mouth and she gets, uh, she gets hit as a result of it. Uh, another goon has found the dilithium and Talor starts to take a victory lap. But meanwhile, back in the smelting plant, uh, proper, the revolution begins, um, back on bookship, a fight breaks out with both ladies kicking butt. Um, we have this kind of, you know, back and forth, back and forth with the intercut. The perimeter fence is still up. On bookship, Giorgio is about ready to fire her, her weapon. But then she flashes back again. Son, no! It it all works. The the tension and building us to that. I think we expect it to, to round back into that. Um, ultimately, she does get the controller overcoming the PTSD. But Talor beams out. The fence, however, gets deactivated. Okay, they run. Rin gets hit. Great, great effect shot that between the tower, uh, the two towers there, the Eon Eagle squeezes through sideways like your your B-wing fighter in the Stars Wars. And uh, they beam up and help Rin. Uh, Giorgio starts to take out the SOB salvage ships um, and they crash down. Both ships jump to warp. Rin is placed on a programmable matter bed. 
uh, the black box is handed over. And then with everybody safe, Burnham heads to the controls and asks Giorgio what happened and that they need to talk. She discloses it's been going on for weeks. It's getting worse, but she is not going to tell anyone. Um, oh, and Matt, in the Mirror Universe, there was another Michael I thought I could trust that in no way probably murdered Son. Son! Uh, back to Discovery, Stamets sees Adira talking to herself, uh, and now it's time for him to mentor her. Uh, he's curious and kind. She spills the truth about the Trill, the symbiote, Grey, how unusual this all is. Uh, they share, Stamets and Adira do, the bond of, uh, of, of depending on someone they love, not wanting to let go. Uh, we see partway through the scene, Grey appears, not for uh, Stamets, of course, but for, for us. Grey likes Stamets, uh, and Adira wonders if something can be done now about Stamets' uh, interface that's in his arms. I'll just point out, Pete, I know we need a little bit of a Stamets arc here, a beginning, a middle, and an end. One would think that, just in retrospect, if one takes away the burden of story to say, Stamets scene number one, Adira helps him with the goo interface. Stamets scene two, he's going to be the kind uncle to Adira and Grey. Then Stamets scene three, he's going to reflect on that in bed in a bit. If you remove that need, surely when he had the goo interface, he could have taken out the arm things, which so so greatly uh, have bothered him, we find out. Uh, but but such is the nature of the story. Pete, can you take us to sickbay? I can, where book tells Burnham that Dr. Pollard says that Rin will make a full recovery here. Uh, the device is out of Book's neck as well. They take it to the turbo lift, Matt, where uh, Book knows how to pause the turbo lift on a Starfleet vessel that's 930 years old. I get it, but has been updated for his time. And thanks her, Linus breaks the romantic tension for just a moment before the totally not boyfriend and girlfriend kiss. Indeed, they kiss. The music really surges. The camera moves into slow motion. It's heartfelt question mark. Um, I kind of felt like maybe, maybe, Pete, is this wrong of me to say? Maybe there was a little lack of electricity in the air for that kiss. I, I don't know. Um, but... I know for sure the next scene in the shared quarters of Stamets and Colbert, they're getting ready for bedtime, still in those Starfleet issue pajamas. Uh, they're talking about how great Adira is, uh, and and um, they talk more about Adira, how her focus on work is just like that of, of a less enlightened Stamets. Uh, Pete, Stamets wants to help her and to have a storyline with her, which I think is a good time to reflect that Stamets in the show thus far he started out as the tortured grumpy genius and then became the enlightened hippie mushroom guy and now that they've reached a point where he's good at navigating and has his his uh his love with him what are you gonna do with Stamets because you can always have Colbert show up and go oh no he's crashing quick get me 20 cc's of ER Grey's Anatomy what's Stamets <laughs> gonna do in the story He's going to mentor Adira and by proxy, Gray. 
and Culber's help here. Having returned from the dead, Matt, it's fairly obvious where the storyline's going, but I'm still here for it. Back to HQ proper, where uh, Vance, Saru, and Burnham all powwow here. Uh, Vance saying to Saru that Burnham's intel would have been worth the risk, uh, that he wished he had been told that. However, rightly, everything's in its proper perspective. Uh, Vance is still mad at Burnham. I love Odette Fear. Uh, the the repetition of correct each one with more teeth is great. Um, the only reason Burnham is not in the brig is because she saved lives. He's going to leave this to Saru. More measured, but no less disappointed. Uh, broken the trust yet again. Of course, we see the demotion coming. Okay. Uh, Burnham is restricted to chief science officer duties only. I found it a little disingenuous that the now demoted first officer and series lead needed to tell the second build actor, Captain, he is doing the right thing. Uh, but it's followed up with a really good final image of her removing her badge. Because when you get demoted, Matt, and it has your pips on it, you have to remove your badge. Pete, we have an incoming threat analysis. What is on your, uh, your programmable matter sensors? That rascally emerald chain, Matt. You know, that Andorian Orion syndicate in this quadrant, uh, the one led by, by the unseen Osira that I hope turns out to be more than Bejazel, um, is uh, is up to no good, but doesn't do the no good other than when we see part of them on uh, Hun Hao. They never went after Argeth. Or, is our intel bad? I think the needs of the story are greater than the threats of the Emerald Chain in this episode. Um, as I said at the top, the, the notion that we tease all episode, get ready, fast attack vehicle, uh, and then never have them fast attack is um, is a little surprising. Here we are in the middle of the season. I think a number of people online were like, this was not the best episode of the season. I don't think that it's necessarily because the episode is poorly constructed or because our baddies are distant. Although to be fair, we don't really see the Emerald chain, certainly not in kind of Emerald chain worst nature. We just kind of see Emerald chain, you know, represented by Talor running a, you know, a terrible situation, but not something of you know, galactic evil. Um, but here we are in the middle of the episode. We're set or in the middle of the season. We're setting up things for the second half. I'm going to argue Pete in theories. We're maybe even setting up stuff for the next season. Um, so the fact that we don't see the Emerald Chain um, in in full force, okay, so be it. Uh, I'll add to it. I think it's interesting that I kind of walked away with the impression around these parts, it's called the Emerald Chain. Uh, elsewhere, it's just the Andorian Orion Syndicate, like maybe where there's less Federation involvement. It's not, you know, here's the cool named bad guys. It's just 
we run the show economically in the beta quadrant where the Andorian Orion syndicate, whereas when you have the Federation pushing back, you need a cool name, uh, I guess. Giorgio remains this wild card, the person that uh, Burnham is closest to, that she, when she needs to go rogue and use her her worst impulses that she has to turn to. But now that she's turning away from Burnham and whatever was done to her clearly at the heart of that. Yeah. And as I've said many times this season, I'll just keep saying it because it's so impressive. They keep coming up with stories where Giorgio's kind of bad is needed as the difference maker. You know, as much as uh, as Burnham had the lost year and she's a different person now and she's more free and more sneaky and all that, um, it takes a Giorgio and it takes, frankly, a Michelle Yeoh to be saying, you know, form your sentences and I would have your eyeballs on my waist. And, you know, that's what's needed. I think, first of all, it adds delicious flavor to the episode. It's kind of that, you know, it's an over the top in the same sense that, say, Q is the same sense that sometimes the doctor could be on Voyager, uh, the doctor, not a villain, but you know, just in terms of that, you know, you're the puzzle piece that doesn't fit and that makes it fun. Um, to have her here as just instantly knowing how to, oh, all right, you need another five minute delay. Show me more warp coil parts over there. Like it's just, it's the right kind of evil. And also I've said before, you know, we didn't feel she was being misused in season two, but her as one of the baddies in the group that does bad things for good reasons. All right, that was one use. Here she's just full on bad in a bad universe. You don't have Michelle Yeoh to misuse. And frankly, you know, she's entirely too big of an international star for that to be allowed to happen. Um, so as far as I'm concerned and, you know, factually every inclusion of her and the delicious way that she spouts this dialogue, um, is, is done, you know, properly. Um, I'm really, really invested in her story. I never imagined Matt when we got mirror Giorgio that we would have her still two seasons later that she would remain amongst the most captivating, maybe the most captivating uh, character on this show and that they would continue to find use for her. That is a writing, uh, a, a phenomenal uh, outcome. And I keep finding myself in this reversed mental place with her since this season has come out having been completed, you know, the post-production completed in a COVID world and with um, Hollywood schedules galore having been impacted by COVID, I keep thinking that this storyline that she's on is a post-COVID storyline. No, no, no. Whatever the real-world future fate is of her Section 31 show, um, whether that is still on track, just delayed, whether that's going to ultimately be scrapped, whatever it might be, um, all of this is meant to be set up for the spinoff. They finished filming in, I believe, March, right? They finished filming a week or two a week, before... A week before lockdowns. There you go. And, and and the plan being later that spring or early summer, in May or June, I think it was May, they were going to start filming. So again, I kind of keep having this mindset of, 
Uh, oh, and of course, they had to do something with her here because there's no Section 31 show yet or not at all. Or no, no, no. This is all pre, pre-pause, pre-whatever it might be. So I think that's something else to keep an eye. You know, what is her, what's her future for that show or whatever it might be? You know, time will tell. We could talk some more about that in theories. Lastly, Matt, Talor, just your garden variety uh, nepotism meat sack. Um, yeah. Uh, Pete, this might sound like a weird place to start with him, but not only do they nail the makeup with him, the actor is great just in terms of like, you know, a, a meathead. Mm-hmm. But even down to, I think they're, and Pete, I don't, I don't know the hair and makeup world very well, but I think they added like, like blonde or light brown highlights uh-huh. to his hair and it I, just I noticed that as well. He's probably makes... been uh on on a um on a hunt for uh endangered animals as well. <laughs> it it just makes the whole character I mean visually it makes him pop and if you're gonna do, you know, Andorians have black hair, okay fine. Um you know, to add these highlights it just adds something more interesting to look at and and all that. But what a great presentation of a character. Pete, maybe the only major complaint I have for this episode is that Talor is presumably curtains. However, if he comes back next week, uh, you know, with an eye patch or a metal arm or something, and Auntie Osira is there saying, I shall get my revenge for what you did to my sweet, sweet nephew, I say bring it on. Because, you know, like we've said with Oded Fear and his character of Vance, and like we've said with other actors, you know, when you have a smaller part, the emphasis is then on you to make that part the hero of some other story that happens to not mm-hmm. be filmed. But, you know, to, you, you fully understand Talor's world 24-7, 365, uh, or whatever it is on Hunhao. But you understand who he is completely, even though he's in probably six scenes and the entire time it's, you know, hey, you stop that, me tough. Pete, let us set those long-range sensors to talking about some theories. So, okay, Pete, they're looking to literally triangulate the source of the burn once they get a third black box. There's your try. Uh, Pete, the source of the burn is totally going to be Terralisium. Who has been to Terralisium? Who could have gone in the past but could have been for the present? Terralisium, mom, the burn, right? I didn't uh, put the Terralisium thing to it, but... The burn in Burnham has has never felt more likely, and and I'm okay with it. I think much like the Red Angel story, it'll wind up being the red herring of well, who is it in the suit? It's Mom, it's Michael, it's both, uh, and and more so about well, what is the ultimate destination? of that storyline but yeah that really does feel the direction in which we're we're headed so that's a look to the past sticking with the burn in the future we have saru saying one day maybe they'll find the answers they're looking for or maybe he says we but you know there's this idea that maybe one day pete is the post burn galaxy is the the solution of the burn not the source but is the solution is that maybe a season four mystery yes i know we have plenty of story time to go but next week is episode 307 of a 13 episode season 
time is going by awful quickly. Do you expect everybody's back to full warp? Oh, and by the way, that means Discovery Spore Drive is a whole lot less interesting and useful relative to everybody else. Do you expect that to be wrapped up by Thursday, January 7th or Friday, January 8th uh, when this season ends? I do expect the burn storyline to be resolved this season. Including the solution? I mean, not necessarily the solution. Like you, you kick forward. This season is about finding Starfleet in the future, what threats, obstacles they face. Obviously you're not going to resolve 130 years of, of that. Um, in this season, but ultimately finding out the the source of the burn and and what they can do. Okay, is is it going to be the Federation's bad girl? Does does this result in you know Burnham is already somebody suspicious through her actions? If it's well, hey, her mom caused all this. Can they possibly keep her in Starfleet? I think is the cliffhanger at the end of this season, Michael Burnham X Starfleet lead of the Starfleet show. I think that is possible. I think that if it's going to be, if it's going to be a Burnham who caused the burn, I have a hard time believing it will ultimately have been Michael Burnham just for the reasons you're saying. It'd be one thing she might get drummed out of Starfleet, but still, Oh, she's an independent advisor here on Discovery, or you know something like that. Where story story wise, you can make it work. Um, for her to be the greatest villain in the life of anyone in the Alpha or Beta Quadrant who's not part of the uh, Orion Andorian Syndicate, for her to be the greatest villain in living memory in in your parents' generation, your grandparents' generation, your great great grandparents' generation, that I feel like might be a tad too much versus. If it's her mom because of a leftover, you know, a, a hanging story thread uh, from all the time travel stuff. And P.S. I would argue a story thread that they are carefully and quietly constructing because I called Terralisium. They never heard of her. Okay. Uh, I, can I find mom one day? Uh, maybe. You know, I feel like we're headed towards all of that. Um, mom as the ultimate villain i think is easier for easier not for us to stomach it's easier for the story to absorb that and say but still lieutenant commander now demoted uh burnham is is uh you know uh not not liked but uh, on discovery they understand that sort of thing pete speaking of discovery so again this idea a couple of things in this episode the idea that the source of the burn must be understood in order for the federation to heal i think that's the that's the writing room talking to us mm -hmm. uh, and help setting some direction. I would argue that just in terms of nuts and bolts infrastructure, the way, the way the Federation really works, quote unquote, you need to be able to get from spot to spot. How long? So, and if the solution is not going to be, we found out that the burn was caused because you didn't hoozy your whatsies. Now everybody has warp drive again. Uh, let's pivot. How long until Discovery Spore Tech is fleet-wide? Follow-up question. I guess this Spore Tech no longer is hurting the Spore folk and the Spore, gener the, the, the spore Dimension anymore. Have we abandoned it, much like the next generation 
very quickly gave up on the uh, the the speed limit because it got cooked up because and I looked this up since last podcast. Um, some of the writers had gone to an environmentalist meets entertainment um, industry breakfast and came back really inspired and wanted to talk about you know speed limits and carbon emissions and whatnot. And they wrote that into an episode, an episode that they ended up not liking. And they very quickly said, speed limit, you may advance this, go past it because of an emergency, and then gave up on it. So, Pete, Spore Tech and Spore Folk, your thoughts? In season seven, no less. Yes. Um, all, all of that, all of that accurate. Uh, to me, the so the Spore Drive thing, okay, um, we're dealing with a... Uh, 32nd century Starfleet that s- could identify a Trill and a Terran on scans, okay, but has no idea at this captain's conference that Discovery has the uh, old but one of its kind spore drive, which I found incongruous, okay? So there's that. The replication of it, Matt, is a ticking clock. When, all right, Cuyahoga, now you can go everywhere. Now the Reliant K, which was another ship seen in the the headquarters last week, which is awesome, okay, can also go anywhere. And you don't have to take two months out of story to bring... Uh, shade to a planet um so i I think it's just a matter of time that they classify it again you you don't tell story all at once it's not a direct download because there's no art to it there's no tension to it there's no build-up there's no denouement um so completely confident that'll happen i don't think the um the, the spore drive damage stories really been serviced. What was that about? Well, we kind of needed to get Stamets into the network to pull Hugh out. So what was the greater good of that storyline that we needed to sink discovery halfway into it so they could go on an adventure to bring back a a beloved dead character kind of like where I feel we're going with gray. Ooh, that's interesting. So you, you think that gray is going to be back in the world of the physical. I think, and I think the mycelial network and Dr. Culver are going to be the ones bringing him back. It'll be interesting if they go that route. And I'm somewhat hesitant. Here's why. A, we've already done it the once, and it was a billion-to-one shot the one time. Now we're going to ask for a two-billion-to-one shot. Well, I mean, you're you're living in 32nd century Star Trek times. No mention of synth bodies, but we have holograms like there there's a million different ways within star trek to do that i i i really think with the stamets mentoring and the colber involvement you've got 
the the engineering you've got the uh biological um you've got the uh relationship and rapport not to mention the super important representation lbt uh q uh amongst all those characters there okay stamets culver adira gray i think and the the family that's rapidly forming there um they're gonna find a way to make him corporeal time will tell let's head back to the burn uh for one second i think in re-watching last week's episode 305 uh the suspicion that vance has on these this new crew that just showed up and whatnot um again vance not given a ton of screen time i think vance is worried about an inside job um yes there's the whole time agent stuff i think he's i think well, he might know five nine was an inside job Matt. pete that's what that many people say many people say people are saying on lower decks lower decks people are saying matt um the dominion war wasn't real is it possible that maybe maybe the answer has been in front of us all along as we wonder what are they possibly going to do with a section 31 show is it possible that section 31 did the burn i again i i think there's a lot of possible culprits the the thing that's going to feel lousy is if it's a you know left field thing um this show is at its best when those mysteries kind of reside in plain sight voke is tyler uh lorca is from the mirror universe burnham and her mom were the red angel like it's completely with the storytelling that there's going to be some connection it's not the star wars syndrome of oh you like C-3PO and you like Darth Vader. Well, guess what? George is cooked up. Darth Vader made C-3PO, um, but doesn't recognize him, uh, never acknowledges that. Oh, and you like Boba Fett too? Well, let me tell you about the clones, Matt. Um, changing subjects yet again, who will Discovery's next number one be, and will it be as soon as next week? I believe we have at least some early poll information of what people think. Uh, we do. This kind of struck me this morning. I put that out there on Twitter. Um, to me, the best candidate, because let me go this way. Let's start from the point of the show is pretend. Okay. And, and who, who's not going to be elevated for story reasons. Um, Detmer on the pilot's path detmer on the ptsd path rather but also this fantastic pilot she's staying put there um i think that reese and bryce um have not had enough screen time to be elevated to number one completely um, agree also i feel like bryce in particular has just really settled into the communications spot um to my mind you have owo as a candidate now yes she's often up there doing ops stuff but i think you could easily um character wise you could elevate her and just plunk somebody else in in the ops spot has uh, been on an away mission on the show yeah um i think nilson as the spore drive operator 
which is a job that doesn't get used a whole lot. Um, and, and one just gets the sense, well, what does, what's that? And how's that different than, you know, just push go or Stamets is ready and whatnot. I think she's, she's in play. And of course it's very telling that the show would have had Sarah Midich play uh, Arium in season one. And then presumably with the plan to kill off Arium had her not come back for that and saying, Hey, we're going to have you come back in the second half of the season as a brand new character who can roll on into wardrobe, zip up your, uh, your outfit, go to hair and makeup where they're going to put a little beauty makeup on you and tease out your hair. No more bald cap and latex and glue and all that. Um, so I think Nilsson is in the running. Pete, if we're gonna go, really I- likes her and she's had the con at least twice. So she would seem a super likely candidate. Uh, if the show wants to go uh, outside of the Discovery crew, maybe you could add Willa to that list as, hey, we're now feeling cool with Discovery, except you had that screw up there with your last number one. How about somebody from HQ kind of be in the number one spot just to kind of help have a little bit more oversight? Um, you could Paul her. You could. You absolutely could. Um, and I had put that out on Twitter. Um, JT Atkins agrees. Definitely Nilsson. Uh, she's been a lot in the chair. Uh, James, uh, who we're going to hear from doubtlessly again in a little bit, uh, votes for Reese. Uh, and then Spider-Ham Lincoln, that's at TessLC139, says, long shot here, Adira Tal, who has 32nd mm-hmm. century knowledge um, as a UEDF inspector, is a genius, has a whole host of experiences to draw on. Uh, including Senatal, the Starfleet flag officer. Three of Tall's hosts were Starfleet officers. I would say writing room Matt disagrees, but Starfleet Matt agrees with Spider-Ham Lincoln. Yeah, but we know that writing room Matt has been fired from a writing room, so uh, (sighs) I don't really trust that guy. Uh, Of course I kid. Uh, Matt, we're overlooking, I think, what story tells us, but maybe reality rejects as a viable candidate. Who's that? Ensign Tilly. Uh, I think to go back to my joking, not joking comment earlier about, you know, look, Pete, they're taking series regulars and have, giving them storylines with animals and kids i do think that the present state of the show this episode in particular does not quite know what to do with tilly and doesn't quite know what to do with stamets uh, it doesn't necessarily have a future plan like wilson cruz doesn't need to be in that in every episode and when he's not we don't credit him and presumably he doesn't get paid for it and when we do have him come in worse comes to worse again you know dr pollard is the cmo but it's you know dr culber comes in and says you know 30 cc's stat and all of that. Um, Tilly, I think, needs something to do. I Obviously, the only logistical boundary is even if you promote her to lieutenant, she still would presumably then need to be lieutenant commander and then still need to be commander rank to be number one. Otherwise, the whole host of commanders that are on the show, um, I'm talking the you know Nan, who's off the ship but not out of the story entirely, Reno, etc., might feel a little slanted for all their their hard work and stamets stamets um interesting that we're not even considering stamets um but i'm going to stick with that stamets is the engineering 
the face of engineering, if not right. the chief engineer. Right. Um, if ever Tilly could be considered, I think it's now. And, and we know of the aspirations for the captaincy to be a captain. Okay. I mean, we're told the first time we ever meet the character, it's going to happen, you know, whether it is the, and as the discovery hands off to uh, the Enterprise Double Z and new captain Sylvia Tilly um, in the finale or some point before that, uh, it, it's it's you got to do it. Um, what kind of emergency promotions could Starfleet consider? What with Saru's need of a of a new number one, yet at the same time wanting it to kind of like, you know, be in house and know the ship. I, I I think there's there's a pathway there. I don't know that the the story can necessarily take it, um, but yeah, I, I think she's somebody who who needs to be in in play. Um, the scene between Saru and Tilly, I think, is is meant to at least possibly set that up. Time will tell, and I appreciate the fact that the episode the episode made the wiser choice, which is to end on the emotional note, not the procedural note of, and now I must go start my search. Instead, it was just these two friends are brokenhearted that they have to part ways uh, in this one professional capacity, Captain and number one. And, you know, one really senses the that Burnham once again has disappointed everyone around her in service of doing the right thing, but nobody else can see that. It's a super sympathetic um, place to be, and and you know all the pain on her face at the end of the episode certainly is well earned. Discovery A, Matt, does this preclude Calypso now? Uh, that had crossed my mind. I think my First reaction would be, I have to go back and rewatch Calypso. However, I'm quite sure that there were not detached nacelles. So it's interesting that Star Trek has, Star Trek Discovery has apparently had this plan for a while. I mean, whenever it is that they were plotting out the course of season two and said, yes, time jump. This way people can stop asking us ridiculous questions at conventions like, you know, but how is the shirt's the same and then different and you know all of that stuff let's go to a brand new time period and fine then they made this calypso thing that somehow you know on a certain level is is bounding them back in now i guess story-wise you could say revert to phase one with the programmable matter or whatever it might be but it definitely is currently an incongruity i guess we are lucky that since since calypso is a rolling 1,000 years ahead of wherever the latest Discovery story is, we have a 1,000 years to explain that away one way or another. I mean, was it said in the past? Is, is this the mission, the, the evacuation we never saw? Um, I don't know how... I don't know how that would track because we know the physical ship... The physical ship has not been by itself for a thousand years, which is what the computer tells us. So I think it's, I think the mystery remains. 
I suspect they may have just been like, yikes, this is a loose thread that we weren't counting on. How did we loose thread ourselves? It's one thing when we sit and go, we're not going to be hampered by design choices made in uh, December 1964 of what the, you know, what the bridge of a spaceship should look like. We're, we're, you know, we're going to open things up. We're going to make it physically bigger. We're going to use LEDs. We're going to use screens. Fine. And we're, we're going to call it all the same because it's a tv series but now we're now we're clear of that oh no we just did it we just did it to ourselves for the first time so it'll it'll be interesting to see how they how they address that i think another option is maybe they just don't and you just sit and go that's the way it is and retrofit versus refit i'm confused um i i must confess i'm a bit confused too um I mean, to me, those two terms are interchangeable. Um, Pete, I'm looking it up right now. So refitting or retrofitting is the addition of new technology or features to older systems. Okay, now let's go define refit um, because that's always what they called the movie, the motion picture enterprise, right? Refit, um, replace or repair machinery, equipment or fittings uh, as in a ship or building. So I feel like those two, I mean, they replaced old machinery with new machinery i don't see a distinction between the two um i don't really either i with what you read as retrofitted it makes sense um and again the the that enterprise okay they they updated it they didn't you know there, there hadn't been that passage of time so i i think retrofit is is more appropriate in in this instance Matt, who are they going to retrofit into the role of Osira? First of all, she's been mentioned enough now where it should be an impressive force. Um, I would just, my gut would just tell me it's going to be a fantastic Canadian actress, perhaps around 45 years old, in the 45 to 60 uh, age range. And somebody who some people might go, oh my goodness, I totally remember her from Supergirl, made in Vancouver. Or, she is fantastic in The Expanse, made, I believe, in Toronto. Uh, oh my goodness, do you remember when she was the love interest in Suits, also made in Toronto? My point being, Pete, I think it's going to be a Canadian actress that maybe we don't well, know well enough, but that we are going to be happy has joined the Star Trek family. I've got some names for you. I'll throw out some tantalizing names. Are you ready? I am ready. How about Anna Paquin? Um, she would be a good choice. Oscar winner Anna Paquin. Um, she's maybe a little younger than I imagined at at, at the tender age of thirty eight. She's a little young, uh, younger than I would have imagined. Osira. However, you slap some green uh, makeup on her. You give her a black wig with brown highlights and maybe a white streak in it and she could be indeterminate um age of an orion ante how about nev campbell um that's an interesting choice i didn't know nev campbell was still like acting although i do see pete she was in you stopped watching it i unfortunately stayed to the awful end of uh the Netflix original, Matt, House of Cards. 
Well, Pete, she is obviously a name. Um, she is, uh, if I may say so, uh, about the age I would approximate Auntie to be, in that she is uh, 47 years old. Also, Pete, a product of Guelph, Canada. I, I must admit, I did not know that she was Canadian. So insofar as I think the show is certainly sensitive um, to you know, be bringing in Canadian actors, uh, as I think is appropriate, <laughs> since they're taking money from, you know, taking tax money from Canada to film there. Um, I think that, I think that Scream's own Nev Campbell would be a great addition as well. Elijah Cuthbert. Um, I don't know who that is. 24. Uh, oh, the daughter. Daughter. Yes. Um, she's not bad. Um, perhaps a little young. However, Pete, Pete, I don't know where you got this list from, but I see she a product of Calgary, Alberta, Canada. So that, that fits that bill there. Um, oh, I've got a tantalizing one for you here. All right, give me another one. Gloria Rubin. Um, I think she's a great choice too. Uh, formerly of uh, of um, Cloak and Dagger. Pete, Ooh, I've got another one for you. Wait, Pete, Gloria Rubin, a an auntie age at age fifty six and born in Toronto. This this is all great. Jennifer Tilly. Uh no, thank you. Next. Trisha Helfer. Um, that would be the most fun of all. That would I be think fantastic. We can all agree, though, we would want Catherine O'Hara. It definitely won't be Avril Lavigne. <laughs> um, I think Avril Lavigne would make a great Orion, just perhaps not Osira. Um, but Trisha Helfer, I think Trisha Helfer, the best on the list so far. I, I got to go with Jennifer Tilly. Come on, an, an Orion auntie. She'd, she'd chew the heck out of it, man. Maybe she could have like a little uh, Orion person uh, that she made with her Orion boyfriend. Um, and uh, you could do the whole Chucky thing right there. Be a lot of fun. Matt, what do these Swiss Starfleet badges not do? They are your pad. They are your um, communicator. I've done before. Uh, they are your personal transporter. Do they replicate? Do they Julian? <laughs> um, I don't think they do any of that stuff. I, I do like very much the conceit that all the previously established Star Trek tools uh, are now in there. I think it's something that something that makes sense from a very basic sense i'm sure that we've seen you know the 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 not quite the meme but you know there's been the images floating around of you know in 1990 for you to have a computer it would cost this and a mobile phone it would cost that and for you to have um a gps map well 1990 would be military grade and it would cost that and for you to have so on and so on and it would cost ten thousand dollars meanwhile our phones all do that for you know, phones are still, you know, expensive, but not a $10,000 level. And look how far we've come that we walk around with fax machines and uh, and whatnot in our back pocket and, you know, and expensive cameras and so on and so forth. So to me, it's a very logical progression um, from a show point of view. I think the bonuses are you don't need to be as worried about, well, here's what the tricorder looks like. And here's the prop. And do we have the hero prop that can appear on camera? Do we have the stunt prop? Blah, blah, blah. And you still have all the story benefits of, oh, no, we're in the cave. 
the communicator can't get through. Oh, the scanner is not quite working. Like all the all the story handicaps that one might normally have. You know, oh, we fell down. It we can't get the signal out anymore. You can still do that and just say, oh, beep beep, it's damaged. I can't believe it. Uh, Lieutenant Willa says that the Kyoga needs a barrier sweep, and they need to clear everybody off, Matt, from the Starship Mine. Yeah, fun reference there, that being the, the deep cleaning when you've done lots of warp. Um, and I don't know, I just read it as a uh, as yet another little reference. You know, it's funny, Pete. I felt like in the first season of Picard, I was hyper aware of the references kind of being like, look at me, I made I made a reference, I made a reference. And I feel like this season in Discovery, they're still doing those references, but particularly in this episode, it's a little bit more smoothly integrated. Matt, the uh, issue of Giorgio and what is wrong with her, uh, that it's uh, getting worse, that Burnham's not allowed to tell anybody, that Burnham's now been demoted, uh, clearly putting her in a, in a tough spot, as well as what seems likely that Mirror Burnham did it. Yeah, I'm just a little... Um, confused, and I don't mean this as a criticism, I'm confused where the show is going with this. Like, fine, we're going to get Giorgio flashbacks. Uh, I suppose some other options are it's the two universes colliding or something, although that seems not to be... Giorgio didn't seem to sell it as I'm having visions I don't understand. It's just more I'm having visions that are overwhelming me. But even that, I mean... I think in my kind of layperson perspective, I'm no psychologist. The only way that you might have debilitating flashbacks, aside from maybe, you know, like a history of heavy drug use or something like that, uh, might be PTSD, uh, you know, or similar kind of kind of trauma. But we had our PTSD story. So she's just randomly, ima- not imagining, but she's randomly remembering those things. The, the mind is returning to those things now. Or is there some sort of, Star Trek answer, you know, the convergence or the radiation or the chimeric DNA. I'm not sure where this is headed. I know that clearly they're deliberately doing it. We had the little tease last week. We had more of it this week. Um, again, I kind of, I'm, I'm both excited and a little nervous that we have, uh, what, one, two, three, four, five. We have six episodes left to the season, seven episodes left to the season, and I feel like we're jam-packed, and this is a good problem to have, uh, particularly since I think there have been times, especially in season two, which was great, but there was maybe there was a half an episode too much in the search for Spock part of last season. Maybe there was half an episode too much in the battle against control. I don't mean the two-parter finale, just in that whole arc. Um, so it's great to have an overstuffed story here. I'm just, Pete, I'm being selfish, and I don't want to reach the end of the season and say, Oh no, now I have to wait 14 months to find out more about son. What is your Burnham book ship name? Um, <laughs> live. I mean, love, I mean, uh, <laughs> my burn. How, how about, how about BB? I like burn boo myself. Burn boo is not bad. And, it was nice to see the confirmation of their connection, being able to know that Burnham in the last year 
has been able to relax, to enjoy life, to feel the love. And Pete, it's a different kind of love. It's it's not romantic, but it's a different kind of love that we feel when we know that those people on patreon.com slash fantastic geek are helping keep our podcast going. They are our dilithium, and we are so appreciative that they keep us listeners supported. Book might not be our boo, but you can be. You head over to patreon.com slash fantastic geek. What value do you place on our podcast? That is up to you. Just takes a dollar to get you in that door. All sorts of exclusive privileges behind it and immeasurably helpful, particularly as we head into a time of the year where a lot of those bills are coming due. Can't contribute right now. And again, completely understand in the midst of the pandemic, head over to Apple Podcasts, leave us a review to either this podcast feed. If you've done one for this one, you could do us a solid, go to any of our others and leave us one where you haven't done one there. As far as I understand it, Apple Podcasts will only let you leave the one review on a podcast, which is kind of dumb, okay? Because, you know, nothing ever changes on a podcast, right? Well, people could go back and and say more i suppose upgrade it we we have had some of those your point fairly observed there pete but certainly all of this support so so appreciated with that let's head to hailing frequencies hailing frequencies open sir pete let's start with our 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 twitter poll as normal uh was this week's star trek discovery catnip to you uh pete one cat got mwah, which is a hairball, 0%. Uh, two cats got mousy, got 13.3%. Three cats got marvelous, 40%. And uh, four cats, perfect, got 46.7%. Pete, for my money, kind of straddling the 3-4 range, I think that that was, uh, that was well-earned. Uh, we heard, as mentioned before, from JT Atkins, it's at JTA is me, who says, I'm back from being constantly behind and unable to participate in this wonderful geek water cooler community. What a great run of episodes this one included. All the big picture plot adventure stuff is great, but I'm also loving all the subtle character moments. One small example from the previous episode is when they arrive at HQ and Adira is told she has to go get scanned. There's a brief exchange of looks between her and Michael. So real, so well done, so normal life. The show operates so well on so many levels. Loving it. Uh, we also heard from The Turkey's Gonna Get It. That's at K-C-L-Y-C-L-Y-L-E-1 on Twitter. Another good episode. Great effect shots, especially the ship falling into the salvage station. Doug Jones continues to be a uh, to be stellar as Saru. Tilly and Saru making tough choices for the greater good. And finally, some action again. The show is fantastic. Uh, Pete, that reminds me, I must confess, I frankly lost track of this with it being a strange world that we live in. Uh, I had tweeted at Doug Jones earlier in the week. Uh, I was struck by his voiceover sounding as though he was wearing prosthetics. Uh, and indeed, he did reply uh, personally, which was uh, which was a treat, as always, um, to say that he does record voiceovers with partial prosthetics in order to get the sound uh, just right. Uh, continuing in replies to our poll for this episode, Andre a- uh, Andre Yeager, that's at Dr. Polo1983, good episode. It was filler, but loved the fact that Saru made the tough decision on Burnham. Great emotion from both of them in that scene. 
Uh, we heard from Jackie Wolf. That's at Jackie Wolf. Jackie with an I, Wolf with an E. Not much in the way of a plot advancement, but some great action. Wondering if the burn was somehow caused by the two universes colliding. Also, can't shake the feeling that we'll see Arium again. Um, we heard from Spider Ham Lincoln, Tess LC139. This was the weakest episode of season three. Philippa's flashbacks are intriguing. Looking forward to more of that. Conflict between Saru and Burnham was inevitable. She's destined to stay in sciences. I'm convinced she or her mom are responsible for the Burnham. Uh, we heard from James. It's at Big Killin'. Solid episode. This crew needs hollow badges with a counseling app. They are falling apart on us. Any chances the hollow badges are evolved from uh, at com badgie? Pete, that, of course, the Twitter account for uh, badgie from Lower Decks. And Pete, uh, com badgie replied with a jiff gif saying i'm badgy so um almost as honored to hear from badgy as we were from doug jones uh listen uh whoever's out there who is doing a, a badgy uh, I, I think it's better than the grudge account um strangely doesn't have as many followers uh but there's that um yeah, I mean, uh, let, let's hope these com badges are not descended from everybody's favorite murderous hologram that we hope that I expect is hanging out there for the second season of Lower Decks. Uh, last response here from Steve Mishkin. That's at Steve Mishkin. Weakest of the season so far, but it's been a high bar and it was still a lot of fun. Was it just me? Uh, that was reminded of the attempted prison break with exploding collars from The Running Man. I kept expecting to see Arnie pop up. Um, Pete, I think anybody who's seen The Running Man uh, would agree that it was that it was um, influenced by that. And, and Pete, now Steve has me wondering, can we hope one day, perhaps, to see Arnold Schwarzenegger in Star Trek? I don't know. I mean, there's some people that are too conspicuous to a appear in something um and i kind of think he he would break that you know you couldn't see him in a, in a star trek or a star wars you, you could see him in a predator movie um obviously yeah I, I just don't know pete let's check the email inbox and hear from derg the markalian who says as follows hello matt and pete another solid outing for this great season of discovery there are several things from a storytelling point that stand out here. I'll just mention a couple. I really thought we were getting prepped for Rin to be killed at the end as an emotional sacrifice, but I am so glad the writers chose to avoid that trope and still managed to underline the consequences of that storyline. Pete, I'll just pause Derg's words for a second and say, and I think it helps that he is an out-of-work actor married to uh, Mary Wiseman, and um, I don't watch the previews or whatever, Side side note, I appreciate the fact that now CBS All Access does not put the preview for next week's episode right after the episode on launch day. Uh, several days later, they, they put it in. Um, so I appreciate that. I can watch the credits and whatnot. Uh, um, I watched the preview for next week's episode at four o'clock in the morning, the day it launched an hour into launch, and it was there. Right after the episode? Yes. Wow. Like in the same... Yes. File. Like I've that. also using our same account, Matt, uh, never gotten a commercial since we changed to the non-commercial model, which has been nearly all of our time. And you have gotten commercials and and 
I'll say it because they're deaf to you. Uh, no uh, acknowledgement of the situation. Actually, actually, overnight there was a reply, and I hate what? to. I, I, I hate to. This is this is news. This is the communication segment. I gotta yeah, know. Well, well, okay, I'll click on it right now. Hold on, I, I just clicked on Amazon by example. Okay, they said um, the issue you reported has since been resolved. But we'd like to hear. Uh, we'd like to hear from you to confirm this. Can you please respond by letting our technicians know? Uh, that's a baloney answer, seeing as how it took three weeks to get back to them. It I'm is, going to reply and, and say you need to make good pay for another month um 100 so that's gonna be my reply that um yeah anyhow pete you know who's been you know who's been hurt by this whole cbs app discussion here it's poor derg he just wanted to send an email in okay he was talking about being prepped for rin to be killed and how he was not and, and we kind of hijacked things so i apologize commander derg back to your words I'm also glad that Michael and Saru both wrestled with the consequences of their actions. Burnham has good chemistry with both Book and Giorgio, so having a storyline with just uh, the three of them without the Federation worship looming in the background, which this season has been in abundance so far, was a fresh take. Stamets and Adira are developing a meaningful friendship, and I'm glad the showrunners are putting an emphasis on that. I'm still waiting for Detmer's issue to be addressed. Thank you for your great insight uh, to the show. Your podcast is one of my week's favorite features. Pete, that from Derg the Markalian, who is on Twitter as Mark Alien Derg, A-L-I-A-N. Um, so, Pete, your thoughts, let me do it this way. I think relative to other people's responses, I was grumpy about Stamets now being relegated towards Uncle Stamets, who's going to mentor Adira. Um, other people, including Derg, seem to really dig that. Um both in story and I think also just in terms of uh, positive representation and all of that outside the story universe. I think there's value to that as well. What are your thoughts? I really dig it as well. I think he's the most logical choice. Yeah. You needed Burnham to take um, Adira down to Trill, uh, you know, form that, that bond with her. Um, But yeah, he's, he's, he can be a grumpy uncle and develop this bond and uh you know let culver know and they can all put their heads together and make gray real again um and then how about your thoughts here on detmer's issues still not being resolved i just don't think there's been other than the outburst at um you know discovery thanksgiving which needs to become a real holiday maybe we can do it virtually um there hasn't been story space. So until you can devote a, a significant chunk an episode to that, it, it's got to kind of come in these slices. There remain uh, scenes from trailers. We've not gotten an episode yet. There's a little bit with her. We haven't seen yet. I'm, I'm hopeful that's where that comes but we're almost out of like footage from from trailers for Discovery, from Mandalorian. It's interesting going into second halves of seasons here, pretty much blind. Um, so there, there's that aspect of it. Pete, we have, of course, in this episode, the the continued presence of Admiral Vance. He rakish good looks, a man of indeterminate 
middle age, but the ladies love him. The men want to be with him. His rank unquestioned. Yes, this does, of course, apply to Admiral Charles Vance, but does it not also apply to the beloved Admiral Fred from the Netherlands? Hello, Matt and Pete, and all listeners to Fantastic Geek. This is Fred from the Netherlands with some feedback for Star Trek Discovery Season 3, Episode 6. Very nice episode. I really liked that Book is back. I wonder how long he will stay around. I think he will pop up now and then. Just not every episode. I don't know if I like it that he is back too much. In the sense of being romantically involved with Burnham. When Linus popped up in that elevator I thought okay now it's over. And I really wondered actually if this was the very first time they kissed. Or that in that one year they spent together they already had something going on. On the other hand if it has to happen then it is perhaps better like this. When the interruption of Linus would have led to not going on with the possible kiss, it could have been stretched out for more than a few episodes. And I think then it's better like this. So I'm happy they did go on and they didn't stretch it. I liked the episode actually quite a lot, but what I thought was quite misplaced was the scene with Tilly and Grudge. Georgiou and Michael are traveling towards this planet where Book is and suddenly we get a cat scene in between which says nothing different than Michael is missing and that's it. And furthermore it's a scene for cat lovers or something like that. One of the strongest scenes is the scene with Culber and Stamets in bed where he reflects on his discussion with Idira so that they both deal with somebody they love that died but is still there. Really really nice connection. No idea what the memory like flashes Georgiou has mean but it looks a little bit like an embryo or she lost an embryo or had a miscarriage or something like that. Big question is why she gets this now and here. Burnham really has problems with the Starfleet straight jacket and when she takes off her combadge at the end I really wonder if she is considering just to leave Starfleet and go with Book pursuing her own plans to find out what happened in the burn. That's all for now. Greetings, all the best. Fred from the Netherlands. Pete, great thoughts there from the Admiral. What's your reaction to A, the return of Cleveland Bookbooker and this notion that was that their first kiss ever between the characters? I think it was. Uh, more book, more David Ayala, never a bad thing here. Um, to kick it forward with Fred's concerns about uh, the Georgiou flashbacks. Um, I mean, we know she had a child. I don't believe we got gender. Um, the, the, the knife here seeming to indicate uh, an attack more so than something self-inflicted. 
I certainly would agree with that. Um, and obviously, we're headed for more information from that. Lastly, Fred has the great phrase here, Georgia, uh, pardon me, Burnham wearing the Starfleet straight jacket. Um, great observation. And I think Fred coming to the conclusion, as have many of us slowly, maybe Burnham really is not Starfleet material in terms of being the best of the best and somebody who's destined to be remembered for you know remembered with the kirks and picards and archers and georgios etc i don't know how the life of a series could be somebody who's constantly battling with starfleet ideals this somebody who at the end of the first season gives a speech about what starfleet is and lives to those ideals there's times that she's gone rogue and you know it is who the character is uh, but in terms of arcing it, you know, like I said, is there a way in which end of season, you know, I've explained what what Fred's pointing to. He's not listened to this yet, that the pips, the rank pips are on their badges now. So she's taking it off so she can swap it out because she's no longer, you know, the first officer on Discovery. Um, but is there a way, you know, all right, I'm going to leave starfleet i'm gonna pull the picard where i go on a rogue mission um and do the thing to come back to it i'm thinking insurrection not star trek picard um it's a way to go uh i will disagree slightly that she was doing something to the rank my understanding was that while she lost the title of Number one, that she, I mean, there wasn't any, you know, and you are hereby reduced in rank to lieutenant commander. Um, perhaps that was implied. Maybe that's going to be one of those things that just next episode she's referred to as lieutenant commander. And it's that, you know, more modern TV thing of, you know, fill in the blanks. We're not going to show you, you know, and turn in your pip 10 hut, you know, that kind of thing. But, um, in fact, if anything, Pete, her taking it off, I think it was more of that, as you're saying, that reflection on, what's my place in Starfleet? Not, you know, Hey, I lost a, I lost a dot on my badge, but, uh, as with so many things, Pete, time will tell Pete, how can people be in touch with you to, uh, chime in on the great pip debate? You can find me on Twitter at Peter P I E T E R J K T E L A A R eleven thousand six hundred ninety four followers. Can't be wrong. And while I'm personally on Twitter as Looking Back Lost, do be in touch with the podcast. Comment on FantasticGeek.com. Check us out on Twitter, Instagram, Gmail, where we are Fantastic Geek as well. But wait, Pete, there's more. Facebook.com slash Fantastic Geek with a PH, all one word. Like it today. We are one follower from a nice round number. Find out what it is by being that person. Indeed. And as loyal listeners to the Pop Culture Podcast feed, no, we will be updating that feed tomorrow to talk Mandalorian episode 204, which also has a chapter number to it. What chapter are we up to? Chapter 12. Chapter 12. The Siege. The Siege, indeed. Uh, for those here just for Star Trek, we will be back next Saturday for Discovery episode 308, the first one in the month of December, Pete, if time wasn't both going by fast and all too slow. For now, though, our time has concluded so i will say adios to all our listeners and give you the final word you had me an unsanctioned mission mm-hmm.